So Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. Let's read this scripture. Matter of fact, before I, before I do that, I, I want to, uh, I'll just give kind of a little precursor, if you will. As we were driving in today, as we were driving in today, um, over the overpass, we're on 50 and we seen some people. It was a, bu- it was a bunch of people out there. I don't know if you traveled. It was right after Mather, I think. People on an overpass and they all have signs out there. And I believe one of them said like Black Lives Matter. Um, and it was, and my, my grandma, she wanted to talk about God. And so as I'm driving, I'm just thinking about the, the fever or, or the temperature in America right now. Um, we're in some crazy times right now here in America. We, a couple of weeks ago, you had five cops assassinated. Um, you had, before that, you had some, some unarmed black males that were shot by cops. I was looking at an article this past week in the New York Times, and it states that right now, race relations are at its lowest in like the past 20 plus years. So there's a lot of tension in the air right now, particularly with, with, with race relations. And, and so I, I'm, I'm just thinking about all these things going on. And then I begin to think about, uh, you, you have issues with income inequality. I hear people protesting about that. And then you have, uh, other issues of, of just moving outside of the U.S. You have poverty in different areas. And, and I'm seeing there's sex trafficking in this country. And then I'm seeing that there's, I'm in third world countries. They're, they're lacking water and, and food. And, and, and I'm just looking at all these things going on in the world and in society and in America. And, and, and I'm like, what do we do as believers? As believers, how do we approach these things with the protest and the different issues that's going on in America? What do we do about it? Do we just focus on the spiritual things and just only focus on preaching the gospel and evangelizing? What should be our response as believers, as followers of, of Christ? And, and how should we feel? How should we feel about these political organizations and these movements that takes place in society? What should be our response? And so I just begin to, to, to think about some of these things. And, and if what I'm saying to you is totally foreign, that's not good. That's not good if you have no idea or if you are oblivious to the pains and struggles and different things that people are dealing with. So I hope that what I am saying is not new to you. If it is new to you, then you have to open up and, and, and I don't want to encourage people necessarily to look at the news, but read a newspaper and figure out what's going on in the world. Because as believers, we just can't be silent. We just can't be silent to people's struggles and to people's pains and to people's oppression or however people may feel. We just can't be silent. Why? Because the scripture is not silent to it. I think about it in James chapter one, verse 27, where he says that pure religion undefiled and I often quote from the King James version because I was read up on that, raised up on that. So if it sounds a little different, but he says that pure religion undefiled, he said it's to care for the orphan and the, and the widow in their distress, in their affliction. That's what that Greek word means. 
He said that that is pure and undefiled religion is to to care for this particular group in their distress, in their situation. Um, Also think about Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul was aware that there were people in the body of Christ who were literally slaves. He was aware of that. You, you can go to 1 Corinthians where he talks about 1 Corinthians 7 and he talks about slavery. and Or you can go to Ephesians 6 where he talks about, about servants and people being enslaved. Paul was not just ignorant to the fact that certain people were dealing with certain issues. So he wasn't silent to that. Even when it comes to the widows, Paul wasn't silent that there were people who were widows in the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians, he, he almost wrote a whole chapter on the church's responsibility and how we ought to treat widows. So when I look at those verses, I see that the scripture is not silent to people's distress, that the scriptures is not silent to different trials that people may face. So we as the body of Christ. We can't be silent to people's issues. We can't just sit silent. And I think that the best place or one of the best uh, descriptions of this or demonstrations of this is in the uh, Jesus description of the Good Samaritan. And so that's why today we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37, because I believe this really demonstrates the body of Christ's response to people in their distress. And so let's go here. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. And it reads, so just a little context, Jesus is, is teaching and he's approached by this, this lawyer and he's asking them questions about eternal life. And, and so the lawyer gives this response and one of the parts of his last response was to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he asks, who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus goes on to describe the good Samaritan. So that's how we get to verse 30. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Oh, no. Likewise, a Levite also when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, it's two people, two down. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an end and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and what, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Jesus' famous words. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Go and do the same. So what do we have here? As we go back up to verse 30, what do we have here? We have a man who's on a, who, who, who was coming down from Jerusalem, headed to Jericho, and he gets beat and robbed, stripped, and left 
for dead. Now, this man is a victim of the kingdom of darkness. And, and, and I say victim because victim often, um, I, I want to clarify what I mean when I say victim, because when we say victim, we, we often think of innocent. You're just an innocent bystander and something happens to you. And we know that none of us are innocent in that sense. But for clarity, I'm calling him a victim. So this man is now a victim of the kingdom of darkness because this is the work of the kingdom of darkness to rob somebody, to beat somebody, to leave them dead. That is Satan's MO. That is sin MO. So we must understand that this is a work of the kingdom of darkness upon this person. Let's not forget that. We, 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 we often so easily can focus on the individual, but let's look who's working behind the scenes here. This is a work of the kingdom of darkness. This is a work of spiritual wickedness in high places, influencing individuals through greed or whatever it is to go in to rob and to harm an individual. This is this is wickedness that is behind the scenes here. This is sin that is behind the scenes. What is causing and moving in these individuals to go and bring harm to this person who is traveling. So we cannot forget who is working behind the scenes here. It is the kingdom of darkness. And it's the same thing with our communities. We cannot forget who is behind all of the drugs that has been pushed in our community, all the prostitution, all of the, the beatings, all of the wrong things that we see within our community. We cannot forget who is behind this. This is not just individuals. But this is a a work of the the kingdom of darkness. This is spiritual wickedness that's behind the things that we see, that we hate in our communities. We cannot forget that this battle that we're fighting is not against flesh and blood, as it says in Ephesians, but spiritual wickedness in high places. So that is what's occurring here with this individual that is getting robbed. He's a, a, a victim of the kingdom of darkness, of spiritual wickedness in, in high places. So we see in this text that some of the first people to hit the scenes is your religious people. This should be great news, right? This, this should be good news that the religious people, um, the people that know God, the priest and the Levi, that they're coming down the street and there's a man on the, on the side of the street. This is, this should be great news. Um, I, I think about in Acts chapter three, where if you go to Acts chapter three, I'm not going to go there. I just kind of summarize it. There's a man that is lame and it said that every day, people would take this lame man and they would place him in front of the temple where people were going in and out. I don't think that was by accident that they're placing a lame man right in front of the temple. He's placing in front of the people that worship and know God. And so this is my best chance to get some alms because it's these people that should be caring and loving for folk. So he, he, he is placed there for a particular reason. And so as I, as I read this text, this should be great news that a priest and a Levite is walking past this man who had just been left for dead, who was beaten and robbed. Because they are the ones that know God's word, the priest and the Levite. They are, they are familiar what God says in Ezekiel and, and Exodus and Deuteronomy and Jeremiah about how they ought to treat the stranger or how they ought to treat the alien. So these are the people that should know what is the right thing. But the text says that they move over 
and go to the other side. And this action is one that we have to guard against as believers because we can get so disciple minded, so evangelistic that we miss an opportunity to bring the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light to a person who is just experiencing the wrath and cruelty of the kingdom of darkness. That's what's taking place here. The, the, the Levite and the priest, they, they have this opportunity to bring the kingdom of God and kindness and love and compassion to this person who's experiencing the wrath of the kingdom of darkness, but they miss it. And we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss and, and not be aware of people's pains and struggles. So we don't want to miss it. But then... The text shows us that a Samaritan comes along. The Samaritan comes along. The Samaritan was the one that the Jewish people had no dealings with. They didn't want to touch him because they were considered to be unclean. So they had no dealings with these Samaritan. But look what the scripture says about the Samaritan in verse 33. At the end of the scripture, it said that the Samaritan came upon him. And how did he feel? It said he felt compassion towards the person that was just robbed. It said that he felt compassion and that he came and bandaged up his wounds and, and poor oral. This was not just a customary, I'll pray for you. But he was actually praying in action. He was moving in action. He wasn't just having this compassion, this, this sympathy, but he was moving in action and, and going forward and, and helping this man. James says in chapter 2, verse 14, that if we see a brother or sister without clothing and in need of daily food, and we say to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? This man is going beyond the customary, I'll pray for you. He is moving with compassion and action and addressing the needs of this person who is helpless, who is down, who is in this situation. This is compassion. And as we really dig into the the Samaritan's compassion, I, I want you to notice that he is on a journey. The text says that he was on a journey, but he stops his trip. He, he stops his, his trip. He, he stops his, his journey to, uh, uh, meet somebody else's needs. He, the cruel work of darkness is, is just attack this person. And how easy is it for us often to say, I can't do that right now. I have to get to this place. I, I can't address you right now. I have to run over here. I, I can't uh, address you right now. I have kids I have to take care of. That is often our response. Because we, we think we have somewhere to go, but even though the Samaritan has a, a mission and somewhere to go, he, he recognizes the greater need. And he begins to put this person over himself, over his journey, over his trip. And so that is, that is the, the beauty of this compassion of the Samaritan. And it doesn't stop right there. It does not stop with his, his bandages. It says that the Samaritan takes the guy to an end and he then pays a care worker to watch over him. And for some of us, the extent of our compassion would be in our modern day time is, I'll call 911 for you. 
I'll, I'll call 911 for you and I'll wait here till they come and then we go about our business. But the Samaritan goes far and beyond that. And here's the truth. If we, if we're being honest, at least if I'm being honest, when I read this text and I look at the efforts of the good Samaritan in the back of my mind, I'm saying, Jesus, who does that? Jesus, who sees a person hurt and injured and, and, and picks them up and, and drops them off at the hospital and then says, I'm going to sit here with you and, and I'm going to pay your medical bills and, I, and I'm going to get a caretaker to watch over you. Jesus, who does that when they see a person in their oppression that they put themselves to the side, even if they have other things to do with, that they're going to put this person over their self? Jesus, who does that? That's not normal. Jesus, I, I like your description. This is great. Yes, this is pretty to read in the text. I can read this all day. I can meditate on this. But but Jesus, really, in, in real life, Jesus, who actually does what the Samaritan is doing? This is not normal. This is like radical. Yes, it's radical. And that's the point. Jesus expects radical compassion. To the less fortunate. He expects radical compassion to the distressed. He expects radical compassion to the poor. It is not the standard customary thing that a person of the world would do. A person of the world would not do that. That is the point. This is radical compassion that Jesus is after. This is not just a, a, a standard thing. This is not just, um, I'm going to support my, my favorite charity by, by throwing some money at it, or I'm going to give to the widow fund, or I'm going to give to the, the orphan fund and, and just go about my day. No, this is the compassion of, I'm not just going to give to the orphan fund, but maybe I'm going to go and adopt the orphan as opposed to me just giving to the widow fund. Maybe I'm going to go and spend time and take them out to dinner and take them grocery shopping and, and cut their lawn and, and be with them and talk with them. This is not standard compassion. He is talking about radical compassion for those who are distressed, those who are going through trials. He is saying, you must go and do the same. It's not standard. Jesus doesn't expect standard living. He expects radical living. And isn't this, isn't this so much like Jesus? I mean, all throughout the gospel, Jesus is preaching radical living. That's not just standard living. In, in Matthew 5, 41, he tells the crowd, if, if someone sues you, I want you, if someone sues you and wants to take your shirt, he says, give them your coat also. And if someone forces you to go one mile with them, I want you to do 100% better and go two miles with them. This is radical living. He's not talking about just standard things. He's talking about just this giving yourself away. Radically living. Jesus also expects radical obedience to those who follow him. Jesus tells us that we must love him more than my kids and my wife and even my own life. And I must be ready to die for him. Jesus is talking about some radical things. So this, this matches the, the, the MO, if you will, of, of Jesus. 
to command this. I mean, what else could you expect from a person who radically loved, right? Think about this. God coming down from heaven, taking on human flesh to be beaten and, and mocked and, and spit on for sinners. That's radical love. So I guess I shouldn't expect anything else from Jesus. Then if, if he's doing this radical love, then of course he would expect radical compassion. And so now the Samaritan makes more sense because this is Jesus speaking and talking, telling us to have radical compassion, radical empathy for people that are victims of the kingdom of darkness. Spiritual wickedness in high places, distress. So we're seeing the, the, the work of God in his verse and our desire to be like him. He's talking about radical compassion. So the question now is, why did the Samaritan show so much compassion? We know that Jesus demands radical compassion, but if we were to look at this, what was the, the basis even behind that? And I believe that part of the answer is found in verse 27 and in Matthew 7, 12. So just look at verse 27 in the same chapter. When a guy gives, when he, he asks Jesus a question and a guy answers this, it's more than the, the last part of that verse. When he says, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And here's the part I think where we find our answer. He says, and your neighbor, what? As yourself. Right? 27, he said, you should love your neighbor as yourself. So that tells me that the Samaritan is seeing himself in the man that is beaten. And he's showing the compassion that he would want someone to show himself. He is seeing himself in the person that is in their distress. That's the empathy. Now look at Matthew 7, 12 and tell me if you see something similar. Matthew 7, chapter 12. We're here. Matthew 7, chapter 12. Look what Jesus says here. He says, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Do you see? The Samaritan sees himself in the man in the oppressed. So, when we see the oppression, when we see the distressed, when we see these different things that different groups and people may be facing, I gotta ask you a question. Do you see yourself in these people? Do you see yourself in these people? Do you see yourself in the person of distress? Do you, do you see yourself in the, the, the father in the third world country who wants to feed his family and doesn't have water and food? Do you see yourself? He's talking about ultimate radical empathy of treating others how you want to be treated and, and seeing yourself in the people in those distress situations. Ladies, when you see a woman walking down the street with a short skirt on and her, her chest all out, do you see yourself as unregenerated 
Do you, do you see some of your old ways and, and, and how would you want someone to respond to you? Would it, would it be in judgmental yelling or would it be more in love and compassion? Do, do you see yourself? Um, th- there are kids, there are little boys and girls that are caught in sex trafficking. Imagine if that was one of your kids and what you would do. D- do you see your kids and these kids? That That's the way we're going to show radical compassion that Jesus is talking about. That That's the way it's the empathy that he's that he's showing and, and telling people to see and do. Because once you begin to see yourself, then you then you see the pain and you want to bring that good thing that you have that can help meet those needs. So we as believers, we have to begin to see ourselves and other people facing difficulties. We have to begin to see ourselves in the orphan. We have to see ourselves in these groups. Especially here in America where we can hands-on directly impact. If there's people or groups that are or maybe feel oppressed or feel however, the question is we have to put ourselves in those people and see, can I see myself in those people? So now I'm going to put a hard challenge out here for you real quick. And I I debated, shall I even say this? Because I don't want to be insensitive and offend anybody, but I'm going to say it. I believe it brings makes the point. If you are Caucasian and the majority of your friends and people are Caucasian, you're likely not going to be able to empathize with a person of a minority group. Same thing for a person in the black community. If all the people you hang around with and know are just people of your same community, you're not going to be able to empathize as much with other people's feelings and thoughts. So we as the church have to get out of our comfort zone to get to know other people so that we can show empathy to sow that good seed of the truths of the gospel. When Paul said he's being all men, all people, all things, all people. That's what that's about. So it's it's us getting out of this, this comfort zone so that we can show empathy and sow the right seeds of the truths of the gospel as we interact with people, especially us as a body, because we are a church that's evangelistic. And you go, if you're going into communities where people are facing different types of things and you're just totally oblivious to it, don't have any idea, you're going to miss it. So we have to have this compassion this radical compassion as we see in a Samaritan, this radical empathy. And, and I believe that's what Hebrew 13 talks about. Look at Hebrews 13, 3, how it speaks to this matter. Hebrews 13, Uh, we hear Hebrews 13, 3. Let's see how it speaks to this radical compassion, this radical empathy that we as believers should have. Look what it says. Hebrews 13, 3. The text says this. Remember the prisoners 
Here comes our empathy. Here comes our radical empathy. Here comes our radical compassion. Remember the prisoners, look, as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. The text is saying to picture yourself in the cell. Picture, your, picture yourself locked up away from your family, away from your loved one. He, he said to put yourself, show this radical empathy, and, and you're putting yourself in the, the place of this person. And so, you, so that you can show this, this, this radical love. That's what the text is showing us. That's what Jesus is calling for, radical and he answered the text with the Samaritan by telling him, now you go and do the same. So that's, that doesn't change with us. It's this radical empathy, this radical compassion for different groups and people who may be with different burdens. And we're not being ignorant to it, but taking it them what they're going through on ourselves so that we can feel and understand and be able to sow the truths, the right truths of the gospel, the right word of truth at the right time to, to plant the right seed. Because we know what people are dealing with and we, we, we know what's going on. But in our quest to be like this Samaritan and showing radical compassion, radical empathy, we have to be on guard against the deception of the kingdom of darkness. And what I mean by that is, 2 Corinthians 11.4 talks about Satan disguising himself as an angel of light. So if you're taking notes, just check that out. I want to get through this. So in 2 Corinthians 11.14, he talks about Satan being disguised as an angel of light, meaning that Satan can make something that is not really good for us, look really, really good for us. I mean, he can be a, a wolf in, in sheep's clothing. And, and so in our desire to be like the Samaritan, it's really easy to make the eradication, the eradication of poverty, of sex trafficking, of clean drinking water in third world countries, the ultimate goal and the main thing. It's, it's, it's really easy to do that. It's, it's really to make caring for the poor and, and caring for the orphan and, and civil rights and education for all and, and free health care at the end goal with the gospel at its expense. It's really easy to make just doing those actions salvation. You ever heard of the term social gospel? That's what that speaks about. When you make things like world peace, for example, the ultimate end. We have to watch for that. Because it's so easy to just get caught up in, hey, we're finna just go and bring third world, we're gonna bring water to third world countries. And now our whole focus is just third, bringing water to these, these, these countries. That, that becomes the main issue. The, the gospel and Jesus gets put to the back burner, but we just wanna go and, and bring water. We just wanna go and eradicate this disease. It's, it's very easy to do that. Why? Because the world champions those things sometimes. The world loves that Jesus that talks about um, caring for the poor and the oppressed and love. But the Jesus of repentance, the Jesus of judgment, the, the Jesus of eternal hellfire, the, the Jesus of I am the only way to heaven as spoken of in John 14, 6. That Jesus, the world shines. 
But that is the deception, that is deceptive work of the kingdom of darkness to distract us from the truth. Even in these, these good things, even in these things that, yes, that need to be addressed, it's really easy to make those things the main thing. And so we have to watch for that as believers. Because in Revelations 12, 9, it talks about Satan um, deceiving the whole world. Guess what? His deception is not through just getting people to commit murder and, and, and rape, but it is those seemingly good things that distract us from the truth. And, and that is the, the, the kingdom of darkness. And that is what we have to watch against. Because the kingdom of darkness, he, he's fine with humanitarian efforts. The kingdom of, of darkness is fine with us going and just caring for the man on the side of the road and, and taking him and doing those things. The kingdom of darkness, is he's fine with all of our humanitarian efforts that we, we do in the name of humanity. Why? Because those things don't erase sin. Just helping a man up and, and, and bandaging him up and, and giving him food does not erase sin. So our, our humanitarian efforts don't do that. So, so Satan is fine with that. He's fine that we just go and spend our time trying to bring water. He's fine with that. Why? Because those things don't remain, remove sin. Your sin still remains even after you commit and do those good works. Good works do not erase sin. It is only the sinless blood that erases sin. So that is the deceptive work that Satan has on the whole world. That if I just help the man up on the side of the road, that if I just give the the poor person food and I'm good. No. They don't erase sin. Satan is fine with our bloodless sacrifices and humanitarian efforts. Because they have no power. They break no chains of the kingdom of darkness. Good works alone do not break alcohol addiction. Good works alone do not break depression. Success alone will not do any of those things. Satan is fine with us just being, trying to be like this good Samaritan and just only doing the good deed. Why? Because those things have no power against the true kingdom of darkness. It is only the sinless blood of the Son of God that erases sin, that makes us right with God. It is His truth that breaks the yoke of the enemy. That is it. All those other things are good deeds, things we should do, but we must understand that they are limited. So we do want to be like the Good Samaritan, but we also have the understanding that those actions are limited in effect. In, in Acts 17, I, I think in, in Acts 17, Paul, yeah, in Acts 17, he, Paul is talking to a group of pagans. And in this, this, to this group, he tells them that God has determined where they would live. He tells them that God has determined the times in which they would live. I was not born in the time of the civil rights movement, obviously. But as a black man, I would hope that if I was in that time period, that I would have gotten involved in the many efforts led by people such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Why? 
because the white supremacy that prevailed in America at that time was, was, and is a work of the kingdom of darkness flexing its muscle on an oppressed people similar to the Good Samaritan situation where you had the God that is facing the wrath and cruelty of the kingdom of darkness. It, it is, it's, it's very similar. It's, it's the work of the kingdom of darkness. And, and, and one of these things that we, we, we must understand that it is not just white supremacy. It's black supremacy. It's Asian supremacy. It's German supremacy. Racism. All these things are works of the kingdom of darkness because these ideologies and these thoughts all put a sinful confidence in the flesh and not in God. So those are the, the, the deceptive works again of the kingdom of darkness because they all are just a sinful confidence in the flesh and not in God. And also these, these, how do I want, I want to say this clearly without offending, even in many of our political movements, I'm the Black Lives Matter, whatever groups you want to call. There's a deceptive work. I'm not calling those deceptive, but I'm saying we must be aware of this deceptive work of the kingdom of darkness, trying to get people to place this undue faith in the flesh. That's what that is. It's this undue faith in the flesh of by color of how I look, that's the work of the kingdom of darkness. To make you believe this and not put it in God. That is that deceptive work of the kingdom of darkness. You can go to the scriptures, you can look at Matthew, for example, when John the Baptist is preaching, Matthew chapter 3. You had the Pharisees and Sadducees come, and, and they were placing their faith in, 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 in uh, them being uh, Abraham's seed and 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 God was like, no, I could God could make seeds out of these stones, basically. And so he's telling them that there's no need to put this confidence in the flesh. That doesn't give you anything. And so that's why the, these things are the work of the kingdom of darkness. Not only do they place an undue faith in the flesh, but all these ideologies and some of these political movements. They have as their mission the building of their own kingdom and not God's kingdom. You can go with Hitler, Nazi Germany. He believed that Germans and in, in, in Germany should take over the world. That was his ideology. It wasn't based on God's kingdom. It wasn't based on the Great Commission. It was based on building up his own kingdom. And that is oftentimes the, the, the main thing in many of these political movements. And ideologies, it's based on building up one people to the demise of the other. Systematic racism, that is the work of the kingdom of darkness. So back to my initial thought, that if I lived during the times of the civil rights movement, that I would hope that I would get involved, that I would hope that I would march. Yes, I would. But I am also fully aware that there is no rally that there is no law, that there's no, no march that will break the bondage of sin. It will not remove humanity from the snare of Satan. And so we must understand that all these efforts 
however noble they may be in caring for the man robbed and in the political uh, movements for different groups, for different oppressed groups, we must understand that they are severely limited and will never provide full and true liberation. They're limited. So that's why we don't make that the goal. That's why we don't make just helping the poor the goal. They are severely limited. So we want to be like the Good Samaritan. But we must understand that those good actions are severely limited. They do not provide true liberation. Jesus is the only true liberator. He's the only one to invade human hearts and break the chains of the kingdom of darkness. You see, look, uh, let's go to the scriptures. Go to Luke 4, 18. I just, I just want to show you he's the only one that actually provides true liberation. So Luke 4, 18, Jesus is speaking in the synagogue. And look where he's going to read, Isaiah. Look what Jesus says here. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then when you move down to 21, he he begins to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, this is the reason I come to liberate. I'm the one that breaks chains. Movements don't break chains. Just doing these efforts will not break the chains of the kingdom of darkness. They will not remove those things. It is me. I bring and release the captives. The captives meaning those who are enslaved by the kingdom of darkness. Those who are entrapped by Satan to do his will. He's, I am the liberator. I am the one that do these things. So we got to please understand that the racism that we see going on, that's the work of the kingdom of darkness. The, the, the unjust things happening, that is the work of the kingdom of darkness. So if it's the kingdom of darkness operating, we have to fight with the kingdom of light, which is God. We do the movements. We, we get involved where we can, yes, but we understand that those efforts are limited and that it is only Jesus. It is only his blood that can provide the true liberation. I think about when I go to the prisons. My ancestors marched for civil rights, for freedom, rights to, to vote, to marry who you want, to have liberties. And then when I go to the prisons and we go in there and I see 90% of the guys there are African-American or Latin. And so I'm like, yes, we that's great we have civil rights, but they're still enslaved. Satan still has people enslaved. Yes. I'm so thankful for the work that was done by my ancestors. But there's still slavery happening here. And I'm talking about the kingdom of darkness. That's what's happening in our communities in different places. And it's only Jesus that can provide the true freedom. 
So that is why we, when we help in these efforts, we bring the gospel with us. We don't just do, do the, the good thing. Yes, we want to be like the Samaritan and help the man on the side who was robbed and left for dead. But we have to confront the kingdom of darkness in our communities and in our families where the kingdom of darkness has left a person dead on the side of the road through drug addiction, through prostitution, through gang affiliation, through sex trafficking, areas of poverty due through human greed. We bring the light of the gospel and love and compassion and empathy and also biblical truth about the person of Jesus Christ. The sword that God tells us to pick up in Ephesians 6, 17, it's not just for defense, but it's for offense so that we would go and attack the kingdom of God, of darkness, wherever it infiltrates in our society and our people, our families, our communities. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells the disciples to go ye therefore, make disciples of the nations. That first word, go, to me, seems to suggest offense, meaning that we must attack. So, our desire, yes, to do righteous, to help those, to help the oppressed, to be like the Samaritan, we have a responsibility to show radical compassion, radical empathy, to love people. But we understand that the gospel has to come with us that those efforts on their own are limited. Yes, there's political movements and some have good things about them, but they are limited. And we must even, we must understand that we can't make those things our salvation. They don't break any chains. They're powerless. It's only Jesus, the true liberator. He's the one. That's why he came to set captives free. So, as you look engaged in society, understand we, if we're going to be following Christ, we have to learn to show empathy to people, placing ourselves in their shoes, understanding their pain, and sowing the seed of the gospel of what Christ has already done, the freedom that you can have, that no movement, no election, no politician, no march, no rally can bring. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth that guides us through all of life. Lord God, I pray that we learn to show radical compassion, radical love and empathy to those who are less fortunate, those who are distressed, those who are going through trials. God, that we show the heart of you and meeting needs, God, and bringing your truth so that they will truly be free. God, I pray you moved upon the body of Christ to carry out your word, to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.